Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Carnison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. For today's episode, we are going to talk about using smartwatches as emergency alert devices. As you may have heard, the latest Apple Watch, which was released earlier this fall, comes with fall detection built in. So I'm delighted to be welcoming back Richard Caro, who is the co-founder of Tech Enhanced Life, and he is one of my favorite experts on practical innovations to help older people with late life challenges. Richard has already been on the podcast twice before for episodes 68 and 10. He is a physicist and a former technology entrepreneur who co-founded Tech Enhanced Life a few years ago. It's a public benefit corporation with the mission of improving the quality of life of aging adults and their families. And so through Tech Enhanced Life and his other work, Richard has been quite immersed in the intersection of aging, innovation, and technology these past several years. And so when he was here on episode 68, he talked about this wonderful project, the Longevity Explorers and their circles, where he brings together older adults to talk about technologies and problems that they would like better solutions for. But a perennial topic of interest for older adults is the uh, medical alert device. So especially when people start getting possibly frailer or having falls. And so a few years ago, Richard and his colleagues completed a practical research project meant to help answer a common question that older adults and families consider, which is, which medical alert system should I buy? These are also sometimes called PERS, Personal Emergency Response Systems. So based on that work, a few years ago, Tech Enhanced Life created an online guide for personal medical alert systems and also a selection tool. And it's quite helpful. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. And now more recently, Richard and his colleagues earlier this fall studied and tested this newer generation of watch-based medical alerts. Since I've already gotten a few questions about these newer technologies, and you may have been wondering about them too, perhaps you're even wondering if you should get one for the winter holidays, the big shopping season, I'm delighted that Richard was able to join me again on the podcast to talk about smartwatches and what he learned from studying them and other options for getting help in an emergency. So Richard, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Leslie. It's great to be here. So you've told us in past episodes, but since some of the audience may not have heard those yet, maybe we can start by you just briefly telling us what Tech Enhanced Life does and your approach to evaluating technology, solutions, and innovations. So Tech Enhanced Life does a number of things, um, but it's all focused around trying to uncover ways that older adults can have better quality of life as we grow older. And one part of what we do is kind of an analyst role where we dig deeply into specific products and discover whether they work or not and which ones are best and things like that. And that's obviously relevant to today. And the other thing that we do is, as you mentioned in your introduction, we have a community that we facilitate of older adults called Longevity Explorers who are 
people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we even have a couple in their hundreds, um, who are interested in kind of, ex we think of it as exploring the future of aging and figuring out problems that need solving and helping companies develop new products sometimes and testing them for ourselves as well. And um, so that's the second part. And that also has some uh, bearing on what we're going to talk about today. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to talk in depth about your smartwatch analysis and review in a moment, but maybe you can just take us through, uh, or if you want to use the smartwatches as an example, I feel like you've developed kind of a structure for doing these reviews with a couple key steps. Can you just briefly outline what those steps are when you decide to analyze and review a, a product or category of products? Absolutely. You know, um, I think we take a bit of a different approach to to most things you see out there, we don't actually usually start thinking about a product category or a product. We usually start because there's some problem that keeps coming up. So when we did that initial work you referred to on medical alerts a few years ago, the reason we did it was people absolutely were always asking me, well, which medical alert should I buy? And when I looked around on the internet, it turned out there wasn't really any, you know, any uh, objective independent analysis at all and it seemed like a big problem so we tried to solve it and now um, this current bit of work is also triggered by a problem and um, let me tell you what that problem is the problem is that um, you know the old-fashioned sort of medical alerts or all the ones that existed before um, they work quite well from a technological point of view but a well-known problem is that people don't wear them Mm -hmm. You know, you're always hearing about so-and-so has a medical alert and it lives in their bedside table. And obviously, if you don't wear one, it doesn't, it's not useful, no matter how technically good it is. And so um, the problem that we, that, that stimulated this work on, um, on smartwatches was the fact that people don't want to wear their ugly, stigmatizing, large, bulky conventional medical alerts. Right. And just to just to clarify what we mean by a, a medical alert, you're referring to these devices that, I mean, the classic is that ad from years ago, I've fallen and I can't get up. So it's some kind of device uh, that you wear either, I think classically it was around your neck, most of them, some of them were on the wrist. And if you fell and couldn't get up or felt unwell or needed to call for help, you could push a button and um, somehow summon help. Is that about right? Yes, that's perfect. That's the traditional definition. And the key part there is that it's a way to let you get help if you need it. You know, that's the key point. And the way it used to be implemented was with, as you said, a big button around your neck. And over the years, they've got a lot better in terms of um, how they implement it, but they're still not all that attractive. Right, okay. So you were saying that the uh, that one problem, and, and I have to say, even when people do wear them, uh, we could talk about you know the data on how often they improve outcomes. But I think it is important for people to be able to get help when they need it. But but one major problem is that people are often not wearing it because they don't like the way it looks or how they feel wearing it. And so um, beyond that, tell us more about how you went about this analysis. Yeah, so that was the problem that we thought was interesting. There was another dimension to the problem, actually, which was that people, uh, you know, the older adults, particularly in our longevity explorer communities, where we have long discussions about things that they care about, they're getting more and more interested in things like the Fitbit, so a way to track your steps so that you can help motivate yourself to do more exercise. And other things, 
and people start coming to the meetings wearing multiple things on them, right? And um, you ask yourself, well, is that really what we want? Do we want lots of things or would we like it if that, you know, there was a sort of Swiss army knife? Anyway, mm-hmm. so our process, back to our process, you start, we start with a problem and, and eventually it seems to be an important problem that we keep hearing about. And some, some triggering event occurs that makes us think, gee, perhaps there are some good ways now to solve that problem. Let's dig into it and look at the different possible solutions and do a sort of comparative evaluation. That's the second part of what's a bit different about what we do. There's lots of stuff that reviews product X but it's kind of rare that it says, well, you know, is product X better than product Y and which one should you get? Um, so it, it's a comparative evaluation. And then the final step, I think, which is um, also critical, is we found that there are almost always different types of people who need a slightly different version of something. And so we usually don't end up saying, here's the best widget we usually end up saying well if you're this sort of person then this would be the best widget for you and if you're that sort of person then actually you'd prefer a different one so that's kind of our overall process right yeah no it's great how uh, it's so sort of focused on the needs of the regular person and developed from that perspective which uh which i think is is really wonderful and part of why they've been so useful i feel like you also sort of you know, do a few other things that I've noticed that are different, I think really interesting. I mean, it seems to me that a lot of your reports uh, include a list, you know, at the beginning of the desired features, right? That is true. Yes. And do those come from you talking about it with your explorer groups? Or how do you uh, come up with those desired features? It's a bit iterative. By the time it gets on the internet on our website, it's been through a few iterations. So usually these... um, pieces of work start with discussions among the explorers, you know, about the problem. And when they're talking about the problem, some of the desired features become clear. And then we go out and we find all the possible promising products, you know, Googling, and then we buy them. And one thing to say is we, we always buy them in secret shopper mode. You know, we don't have the companies give them to us or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, Anyway, so we get them and then we look at their features and we kind of match those with what we heard. And sometimes we realize there's actually some other important features as we're testing them just from kind of thinking about it. Um, And at the end, we say, okay, so here's our list of desired features taking into account both what we heard from our Explorer community and what we kind of figured out by actually using them over a period of weeks, which is what we often do. Okay, great. And so you're going to tell us more about what you learned about the smartwatches. But a few years ago, as we mentioned, you did that that other assessment of medical alert devices because people were asking you. And, and you were mentioning how you identified a few key considerations for users to consider when choosing the device. Because to a certain extent, you're not telling people, oh, this is the best one. You're kind of providing a little bit of guidance on here are the key things to consider to choose. And it occurs to me that many of those key considerations possibly apply to the smartwatch version as well. So could you quickly take us through some of the key considerations that you came up with when uh, people should be uh, trying to figure out which alert device to get? Sure. The way to think about these are they're they're, um, considerations that help decide whether a given 
medical alert is for one person or for a different person, right? Because, um, you know, they, they all are um, things that in some cases work well and in some cases don't. So here's the first example. The first example is when you press the button or when it automatically sends out um, an alert because it, it, you know, it's got some cleverness inside that figures out you need help. That signal goes to a person that we call the first responder. And the majority of the industry works in a way that that signal goes off to a kind of call center where there's a person whose whole job it is, is to sit there waiting for you to call them. So that's what we call a professional first responder. And that's one category of these devices. And then there's a whole second category where instead of the signal going to a professional person in a call center, it goes to someone you designated such as your spouse or your child um, or even to 911. Um, and so that's kind of a different category. It's not a professional person sitting there waiting to help you. It's either um, a friend or in the case of 911, it's a professional person, but it's someone whose whole job is to just, you know, respond quickly to a real emergency mm -hmm. rather than necessarily talk to you if you just lost your car keys or something. Yeah. And I assume that might affect the cost, actually, because if the service is funding a their own response center, that, you know, that costs well, money. Well, it's a critical part of the cost. Um, the Most of these products have a sort of monthly subscription and... Um, the ones that do not send a signal to a first responder either have a much lower uh, subscription or sometimes even none. Mm -hmm. To a professional one run by the company, you mean? If they're sending the signal to a professional responder run by the company, the cost of the subscription is much bigger than if mm -hmm. they're not. Right. Okay. So, uh, so that's one key consideration. I'm glad you clarified that because I think people don't always think about that. <laughs> you know. I'm sure you're right about that. Yeah. You know, until you, someone like you pointed out. Okay. So that's one consideration. What are the other key considerations you identified? So the the very original versions of these, like the one in that advertisement you referred to about I've fallen and I can't get up, they really only worked in your house. Mm -hmm. um, they involved a sort of um, something I call a base station, which is a little you know, beige box that sits near your phone. And um, they would only work within a certain range of that, often quite a big range. You know, they often go out in the garden and stuff, but they definitely don't work when you go to the shopping center, for example, or when you go for a hike in the, in the woods. And um, so there's that at-home version, the original version. And then there's a whole newer class which isn't that new anymore, um, which also works outside the home. So the question of whether you're okay with one that only works at home or whether you want one that works everywhere, that's a kind of key differentiating factor. Mm -hmm. And presumably everywhere is based on um, cell service signal. So everywhere where there's cell service. Yes, everywhere is uh, a word that needs some definition. You're right. Right. It's every, everywhere that there's a cell service. Okay. So in rural areas, which sometimes have spotty coverage or only coverage by one company, that might be a, a consideration. It's certainly an important detail to think about, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and then what are the other key considerations? Well, um, there's some you know, uh, nitty gritty details to do with things like how often you have to charge them and whether you talk through the thing that's... Uh, around your neck or whether you have to yell at the base station. Um, but some more important things, probably the most important uh, next category to talk about is what's called automatic fall detection. Mm -hmm. And that's important because the original versions 
relied on you pressing the button when you had an emergency. And if you, for example, had a stroke or a heart attack, there would be a good chance you wouldn't be able to press that button. And also what you hear anecdotally is that there are a lot of people who fall and hurt themselves and don't want to press the button because they're nervous about um, bothering people. Right. Yeah. So this new category has an automatic intelligence built into the pendant that notices when you fall and automatically sends a call for help without you needing to press the button. Mm -hmm. Now, do those automatic detectors generally uh, check with you first? Like say, can you push the button or say you're okay within a minute or otherwise I'll call for help? Yes, mostly they do. They do have something like okay. that. They do give kind of an option to to weigh in to make sure it's not a false alert or make sure you really do need the help. Yes, and that's a very important detail. Yes. Well, I have to say that I, I'm generally a, for the automatic fall detection because, as you said, uh, I haven't looked at the studies recently. But when I looked a few years ago, you know, there was evidence suggesting that for a lot of older adults, they fell and did not push the button. I mean, some of them also have memory problems, right? and might be uh, just generally confused or might be kind of rattled and confused by the fall. And then there was the sort of issue of embarrassment or, or perhaps worry that, you know, people were going to say, now you can't keep living at home. And um, so, yeah, it did seem that, uh, especially for the people we'd be most worried about, they might not push the button for a variety of reasons. Well, I agree with you. I think it's an important and very useful feature. But um, there are a couple of things to to mention to counterbalance that. Uh, one is that if they don't want to press the button, you know, they, they can always cancel the automatic uh, call too. So it doesn't totally get around that issue of people not wanting to bother someone. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, they, they're not perfect. So they have some, sometimes you fall and they don't go off and sometimes you don't fall and they go off when they shouldn't. So um, like anything else, when you add an extra layer of intent, intelligence, there's also stuff that can go wrong. Right. Okay. All right. So, um, so presumably when you uh, decide to look at these newer smartwatch versions, uh, you know, all of those considerations might apply somewhat. Who's the first responder, whether it's someone in your family, friends circle versus a paid professional responder associated with the company versus tapping directly into the 911 system. And then what's the range of coverage? Where can you expect it to work? And then I guess how you communicate when uh, you're you're in trouble, the base station. Talking to the base station becomes probably uh, not important when it comes to smartwatches, but I'll certainly be interested in you telling us whether or not you also need to have a phone because I think that is you know, something that I've thought about. So now, don't keep us in greater suspense. Tell us about these, these smartwatches, which ones were included in your review and what were the desired features maybe? Okay. First of all, just to respond to what you were just saying, you're absolutely right that all those um, same features from the traditional medical alerts matter for these ones. I think the way I think about these smartwatches is they're a kind of a subcategory of the overall universe of medical alerts. And they're all um, in the category of products that work everywhere, that there's cell service. Mm -hmm. So the question of whether they work at home or not, you know, that's not so relevant in the case of smartwatches. They basically all go everywhere there's a cell signal. And um, when we thought about the features, we decided that's a sort of layered question, right? And if I just step back, remember that the key reasons we wanted to 
we think people are interested in this category. Uh, first, because maybe this is something you'd actually want to wear rather than something you don't want to wear, but maybe you would because you felt frail. Mm -hmm. And so that whole question of whether you'd want to wear it or not was important in the feature list. Um, and then the other reason we thought it was interesting is that it represents an opportunity to kind of coalesce several things you might have on your body into one. And so a second feature was that it could tell the time. Because if you think about wearables, you know, there's a killer app for wearables, which is telling the time. And um, it's often overlooked. So you see all these people walking around town with a watch and a Fitbit. Well, like me. <laughs> okay. My Fitbit does not tell the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, and so then imagine you had a watch and a Fitbit and a medical alert and maybe, you know, something to measure your um, heart rate. You start to get a lot of things. Um, so the degree to which this would maybe address all your needs, that was the second important feature. But then the thing that offset that is it needs to be easy to use, right? If it's too complicated, it doesn't matter what it can do. Right. Um, so that was the, the next feature. And then whether it works well as a medical alert is, of course, on the list as an important detail. And then finally, um, we kind of decided that for this particular piece of work, we wanted to look at products that did not need other things you had to carry around. So no additional smartphone required? No phone. Uh, well, when you say required, most of these kind of assume you own a smartphone. Yeah, but, but you have to have it on your person? That's right. You do not. And that was one of our criteria. We only wanted products where you just needed one thing to go out the door with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There are quite a few other products that perform similarly to these, but require you to carry your smartphone with you. And for a whole range of reasons, we can talk about later if you want. We did not include those in this study, although we've looked at them other times. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. Well, at least from my perspective, I certainly know a, a lot of older adults do have smartphones, but some of them don't. And even when they do, they seem less likely to carry it on their person all the time, the way uh, younger people do, you know, it might be in their purse or off on the dresser and they might get out of um, Bluetooth range because often those devices that connect to your smartphone are are using Bluetooth, which is, you know, what is it, 10, 15 feet, right? Um, I'm not sure the exact range, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, we looked at one of those sort of products a, a year or so back and it had a lot of nice features, but when we talked about it with our explorers, you know, it really relied on you keeping your phone with you. Mm -hmm. and. For some of them, that's fine because they have it in their pocket all the time. You know, I remember one lady saying, yep, I put it in my dressing gown pocket when I get up and it's, it never leaves me. And for someone like her, this was fine. But for most people, including me, actually, you know, I don't carry my smartphone into the bathroom in the morning. And when I get in the shower, I do not bring my smartphone in and sit it next to the shower and all those things. So it just adds a whole um, layer of extra complexity. And I, I see the interesting aspect of this new class of products that we're talking about today as being you don't need a lot. Right, right. Okay. So in the end, how many smart watches did you find that met your, your fundamental criteria and that were tested? We picked four, what I think of loosely as different products to look at, although in terms of the actual hardware, there were really three. And so three or four. Uh, shall I tell you what they were? Yes, or? yes, definitely, definitely. So um, oh. two of them were kind of special purpose devices. 
one made by a company called Mobile Help and one made by a company called Medical Guardian. Okay. And then the third and fourth ones were both based on the Apple Watch. So that's, you know, uh, not built specially to be a medical alert, obviously. And it's a very interesting convergence, I think, of consumer electronics and, and this function. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really were- briefly, the mobile help watch is based on the Samsung smartwatch, if I remember right. Uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, but modified with it. Okay, it's, whereas- uh, it's a customized, slightly customized version, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's an interesting thought too, that um, companies might strike deals to modify an existing product. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going no, to say? No, that's all right. I mean, what, since you went down that path, though, that's a, I think that's a very good aspect of it because, you know, they've leveraged all the work that a big company already put into making a high-quality smartwatch and and then customized it to have um, some suitable medical mm-hmm. type features. And the Apple Watch category is a bit similar in that we, we of our four different product concepts, two were based on the Apple Watch. One was just the Apple Watch by itself. And the other one was an Apple Watch with a specific app loaded on it that made it more functional. And uh, that's, again, the same, the same sort of concept as with the mobile help product based on Samsung's smartwatch in that the ones based on the Apple Watch are kind of leveraging the wonderful aspects of the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So you had sort of four, you said, to study mobile help smart, uh, Freedom Guardian, and then you said the fall call app on the Apple Watch and then the newer Apple Watch 4 with its own inherent fall detection. Is that right? Yes. Although, by the way, the Apple Watch 3 is also um, can operate as a medical alert. It does not have the fall detection, but it has many of the other features. Oh, interesting. Uh, and that's without the fall call light app? Uh, no. Um, whether it's an Apple Watch 3 or an Apple Watch 4, it does not matter in terms of uh, the majority of this conversation, they okay. both work, except when it comes to the fall detection algorithm, which is only on the Apple Watch 4. I see. Okay. But the four call light app works on both. And so if you have an Apple Watch 3 with no additional apps or things added to it, does it, it works as a medical alert? It does. It, it does with some, with some caveats. With some caveats. Okay. Tell us what you, what you discovered. Well, we discovered rather a lot. Yeah. And we will um, link to your full report because that is really what people should do is view the right, full report I, I, online. I do encourage that because I think it's hard to, you know, boil it down to a few sound bites. I guess the big picture of what we discovered was they, they were all uh, much better than adequate. Mm-hmm. And I ended up deciding that the best way to think about this was each of the four products was suited for a specific sort of person and that for that sort of person, I would be enthusiastic to recommend one or more of these products. Um, So I'm not really saying uh, one's the best, but I am saying that depends a bit which which category you fit into. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let me see. So first of all, in terms of the cost, I know people often start off thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Did they all come with a monthly subscription? No, uh, they did not. Um, So I usually put the cost at the end, actually, after I've thought about the features. But let's start with the cost. Cost is a is um is a complex question. Of the products, three of them have a subscription and one does not, but they all have an upfront cost to buy the product. Um, mm-hmm. And so it can be quite bewildering. You know, there's lots of different ways to frame this to mislead people about 
what the real costs are, which is what you kind of often see in the internet. I decided the most useful way to compare costs was to look at what it would cost to own one of these for two years. So in that article, there's a little table that compares that. Um, and so the way to think about it is there's a cost for buying the actual device, uh, which varies among the products. Um, there's a subscription for three of them and not four, which also varies across the products. And then some of them need you to also pay a bit extra to have the cell service turned on and some of them do not. So there's a bunch of components. Um, and when you look at all that, you know, there's a number for the, the cost over two years. Yes, yes. Well, I'm looking at your table right now. It's very useful. I recommend it. And it looks like the the Mobile Help Smart, the Freedom Guardian, and the Fall Call Light app for Apple Watch all come with a monthly monitoring fee. At uh, the time you did the report, it looks like it varied from 15 to $45 a month. So whereas if you have, uh, I guess, just the Apple Watch 4, then there's no monthly fee which is why in your analysis, the, the Apple Watch by itself ended up being less expensive over two years. In that table, I think it's the Apple Watch 3, by the way, that the pricing refers to. Oh, okay. Um, You're right. There's a footnote down the bottom about that. Okay. But the 4 is just a bit extra. Okay. So important to consider that for these, you're, in many cases, you'll still pay a monthly monitoring fee, which... And maybe it's more expensive for Freedom Guardian because they have a different kind of response center. We were saying that that's often related. So for all of these, how, uh, or for each of these, I don't know what's better, but uh, you know, I'm sort of envisioning the, the use scenario that uh, you're there walking along and you trip and fall and get hurt and you have trouble getting up. How, how easy was it to summon help you know, for somebody who might feel kind of rattled and, you know, or maybe is having chest pain? Uh, was it pretty easy to just push a button and get going or did it require sort of looking through the menus and, and uh, figuring out, you know, how to generate the call? They were all fairly easy. There's a lot of um, degrees of easiness in, in this conversation, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you want the absolutely easiest, simplest thing, you want a big, huge button hanging on your chest that you can easily press. That's the easiest possible thing to do. And None of these are quite as easy as that, but they were all pretty easy in my opinion. And so when you start to think about, you know, is this a product for you, along with various other aspects, just how important it is to be totally easy, but ugly sort of thing is a critical uh, factor. And these smartwatches are fairly easy. You have to press a button on the side of them in most cases. Um, in one case, you have to press a button uh, on the face of it, you know, a software sort of button but the buttons are smaller than the, the big um, conventional products. Um, and you do have to kind of reach over to your wrist and push the button. I ended up deciding that they were all fairly easy, but not quite as trivial as the conventional ones. Mm -hmm. And then since I know, you know, uh, I feel like there's been some interest in, you know, voice activated things, right? Yes. Uh, Alexa and all that. Can any of them use just voice to uh, trigger the alert or you have to be able to physically reach over and press something on the screen or on the side? Well, that's an interesting aspect. So the ones that are based on the Apple Watch, both sort of can use voice in different ways. The ones that uh, the, the uh, mobile help one and the Freedom Guardian uh, do not accept a voice command to uh, ask for help. The details are important though. I didn't spend a lot of time playing with the voice activation of the two on the Apple Watch, but if I break them apart, 
the Four Core Lite app, which is the, the one that's the most fully featured and sends help to a professional responder rather than to 911. Mm-hmm. I, I think of that as the most comparable to the other two. Um, that one does um, emphasize the, uh, the possibility of having voice enabled asking for help. And when I tried it, you know, it was a little bit cumbersome because you have to remember a specific phrase, which I decided I would never have remembered. In mm. fact, I had trouble remembering it even for my testing. Because it but, wasn't easy, like help, I've fallen or I need help. <laughs> well, I, need no, help. I, would, I wouldn't say that it wasn't easy. I forget now what it was, but it had to be quite specific. Mm. So it was easy, but, you know, it was a specific phrase you had to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to do them credit, I saw them a week or two later at the Aging 2.0 conference in San Francisco, and we had a nice chat. And the founder of the company told me that they just made a, a big improvement to to their voice activation to allow for a whole range of different phrases. So, you know, maybe it's a bit easier now, but I still personally think that if it was me and I just had a heart attack, I would have a lot of trouble remembering what to say. Right. You know, in a way you almost wanted to start, you know, fairly broadly, you know, help, right? I feel like that's the thing people are really, you know, and then maybe it could ask you. <laughs> well, I think confirm. that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> right. um, and they're definitely trying to do that now in this next iteration. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't set out to decide just how simple that was. Right. Um, but anyway, it's, it's the direction that they're going in. Okay. And then when you do sort of summon help through the, the device, you had mentioned earlier that for medical alerts in general, there's a the question of, is it, is it going to call somebody in your circle who you've previously identified your adult child or someone else, or is it going to call their professional service? So for these, for these smartwatches, which one was it? This is one of the features that's a big differentiator between some of them. And it's a very important thing, I think. So the mobile help product and the the, the medical garden guardian product. Freedom uh, Guardian. Uh, yeah, that's the mm-hmm. name of it. The company is Medical Guardian and okay. the is called Freedom Guardian. Anyway, those two products uh, work very much like a conventional medical alert product. That's the industry those companies uh, come from. And so when you trigger an alert, they uh, send a signal to a professional um, monitoring service. Mm-hmm. They're, they're two different companies, but the general concept is similar. Someone responds and they ask you if you're okay and they're happy to talk to you. And, you know, if, if you just uh, have a relatively minor problem, they don't get upset and yell at you. And if they need to, they can call 911 for you. And just to clarify for all of us, actually, are those professional monitoring, professional response services also able to call your family if that's what you request or if it's something they are. that's not... Okay. They are. Mm-hmm. And uh, different companies implement this a bit differently, but the general approach that most of them have is when you set up your service, you tell them who your, you know, your preferred family members or friends are, and they have their numbers. And you usually get to choose whether if there's an emergency, you know, whether they would automatically call them or whether they'd call them first or call them second. So there's a whole kind of response recipe that most of these companies set up when you register for the service. And when you press the button, that responder starts talking to you from the smartwatch, right? Mm -hmm. So you press the button, a bit of time goes by, and then this voice emerges from the smartwatch and talks to you, and you can talk back to it. And if you're not really super badly injured, you know, you have a conversation. And then they can ask you things like, you know, 
how do you feel and do you need us are you, to are you able to get up and... yeah all that stuff uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and that's kind of their job is to do triage right. because studies suggest that you know most of the time people press these buttons they don't really need an ambulance they usually need something different some of the times they need an ambulance but not always mm -hmm. so it's that triage function these services do mm -hmm. so that's how the two traditional versions work the mobile help and the medical guardian the ones based on the apple watch are uh, differ from each other and that's where we you know, that's an, that's an important thing to dig into so the full call light app can be set up in several versions but the version that i like allows you to also have the signal go to a professional responder just mm -hmm. the same as the other two i talked about mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's how i used it it has some other features you know it can instead of that it can just call your friends and things if you want it to. Okay. So you have more flexibility in how you, you do have it more flexibility. Mm -hmm. it, it basically is a, it's, it, it's trying to be a sort of more modern version of all this. Mm -hmm. And so it gives you various options, including the one to just behave pretty much like a conventional medical alert. Mm -hmm. Okay. The final one that I just want to talk about is the Apple watch alone without the app on it. Mm -hmm. And that's different when you press the button or when, or when it detects your fall, um, it calls 911 directly. Do you know if they're going to continue with that? Because as you said, you know, often people maybe don't need an ambulance, right? <laughs> so... uh, it's an it's a interesting question. I don't personally know what their plan is. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I think only the Apple Watch... Now, which one had automatic fall detection? Uh, the, the Apple Watch um, by itself has automatic fall detection. Okay. So if you want automatic fall detection, you know, at the time of this report, things may change next year. This is, you know, a industry where things change quickly. But at this time, it will call 911. That's what it does. That's right. And what I really want is the automatic fall detection plus the professional responder. And right, right this second, you can't get that in a product like this. Uh-huh. And now I assume it doesn't call 911 right, right away. It, it maybe gives you a moment to, yes. to stop the, uh, the call. Do you know how it works exactly? I do. Um, uh -huh. Although I did not ever let it call 911 because I uh -huh. felt like that was antisocial. Good for um, you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the important details, by the way, because with these professional responders, they encourage you to test it and call them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've called that, you know, I, in my testing protocol, I, I sit down every day in a different place around the city or the country nearby and I call them one after the other and talk to them. And that's how we learn things like how quickly they answer the phone and whether they really know where you are, mm -hmm. um, various features. With 911, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And that's got a consequence because with the ones where I was testing them all the time, you know, after a while I became very comfortable how to press the button and what happened when I pressed the button. And I realized that I no longer was worried about whether I'd know what to do if I had a real emergency mm -hmm. because I was practicing. Yeah, and which I, is great for your confidence. I mean, I think well, sometimes I think people is. want these because they're, they're you know, feeling a little unsure and that partly what we want is for them to feel more confident in going out and being active. I think so. You know, you end up deciding, yes, you know, if I press that button, that's good. Something will happen. W with the 911 situation, you can't really test it very well. Right. Um, and and so I worry a bit with that, that, um, you know, you, you get the product and 12 months go by and then you have a heart attack or something and you're lying on the pavement and, and you go, now, which button? What did I have to do exactly? Right, right. Or also if you had somebody with, you know, say, um, 
mild dementia or something like that, right? Just recently diagnosed early in, in the condition. When you first got the device, you would want to see, you know, is, is it something they're actually able to use? And then also that um, since it tends to progress, you'd want to be checking regularly to make sure that it still, you know, was a safety device that they could trigger when necessary. Right. And so that issue of being able to practice actually sounds really relevant. I think it is. I mean, to a certain extent, I suppose, if there's an automatic fall detection, you could argue you don't need to practice. But um, I like the idea of being able to practice. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So you didn't let it call 911, but did you, did you practice a few falls to see if it was able to notice you fell? A little bit, but I didn't spend a lot of energy on that. And I'll tell you why in a second. But just before I do, you know, when, when you, tr- so you can trigger the alert with the button or with the algorithm. And um, there's a sort of a countdown process that you can cancel after that. So it's, it doesn't, you know, you, so I, tr- I did that. Absolutely. I just never let it finish. And how long does it count down? I forget exactly. There's, um, I think there's a link at the bottom of that article to um, some details about that. Okay. All right. Okay. So it basically says, it sounds like you may have fallen or something happened. I'm going to call for help and counting to 30. <laughs> uh, no, um, uh, that's the idea. I don't think uh-huh. it's 30 actually, but yes, okay. something like that. Okay. All right. And what is the difference for the Apple Watch 3 between having the fall call light and not having it? So with the, it's more or less the same as what we've just discussed. With the Apple Watch 3, if you have the fall call light, when you press the appropriate button, it can call a professional responder. Mm-hmm, right. Set it up that way. Right. Or you can have it call your friends if you yeah. prefer. And if you um, don't pay for the fall call light app, what do you get with the Apple Watch 3? Well, first of all, the fall call light app is actually free if you only want it to call your friends. Oh, okay. So that's good to know. Yes. Um, it's only when you add the professional responder uh-huh. part that you have the subscription. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you don't use that app at all and you just rely on the watch, you can press the button on the side and it will call 911, just the same as the Apple Watch 4 does. Oh, I see. Okay. So it comes with a 911 alert. There's just no automatic fall detection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we've, we've talked about the, the question of whether you can practice, the kind of response it reaches out to. So what are some other sort of key findings that, uh, or things you thought about in doing this assessment? I spent quite a lot of time thinking about who would want the different versions because mm-hmm. they were quite different in terms of the complexity and the ability to do extra stuff. Mm-hmm. And before you go on with that, I'm just wondering, you've, we've talked about you testing them. Mm-hmm. Did any of your explorers or because uh, I want to ask you just how old you are. I think you're a boomer, but you know, you're very involved in technology. We could say you're, you're probably on this, the more tech savvy side of people in your generation or age range, did you have any of your older explorers or people who are less tech savvy than you try these? Yes, but to a limited extent, because stuff like going out every day and pushing the button and measuring how long it took to respond, um, I did that sort of work. But we took these products to our longevity explorer circles and the sorts of things we were really interested in in talking about there were things like what whether they thought they were in fact stylish and that they'd want to wear them or not because mm-hmm. we didn't want to rely on my personal opinion about that right um, and things like um, you know they varied in degree that you can see the buttons and things like that so we mm-hmm. had discussions about whether that was important and which ones were easier to find so a lot of those kind of ergonomic issues um, we discussed in our groups 
and uh, probably some other things too that I'm not thinking about right this second. Mm-hmm. But most people in your groups found them uh, usable. Uh, no, it varied enormously. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I think that um, these are appropriate for certain types of people, but not others. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our explorers didn't like any of them. Some of them loved some of them and not others. So there was quite a obvious breakdown into types of people uh, in terms of how they responded to these products. Right. So, uh, well, I'd love for you to tell us more about your thoughts on which are right for the right kind of person, but it also sounds like it's probably fairly important to have an individual person try whatever device you're, you're planning on using to get their response, both to the stylishness and to the usability. The stylishness is definitely personal taste. I think looking at a picture probably helps a lot with that. I'm not certain you have to try it. It's a bit hard to try them. You know, you sort of have to buy them. They don't have stores where you can go in and try a bunch of these. There's basically well, just the Apple, Apple stores. Watch, of course, <laughs> is uh, easy to try. With the other ones, um, it's a bit more tricky. Yeah, yeah. For now, maybe somebody will come up with that as a, an innovation, right? These walk-in stores where you can try a lot of these things. You know, I've heard people talking about doing that. I think that's an interesting idea. I don't think one exists right now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what were your thoughts on which was right for which kind of person? So in the article where I tried to spell all this out at the end, mm-hmm. um, I decided there were kind of four different, I call them personas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, examples of specific types of people. And that if I was reading the article, I would try and decide if I fit one of those personas. And if I did, then it tells you, you know, which product is most likely to be relevant. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you like me to tell you a bit about the personas? Uh, sure. Do you want the 30-second version or the longer version? Let's go with the 30-second version. Okay. You know, at one extreme, are people, for example, who already own an Apple Watch and they love its features and they think it's great for a whole range of reasons that have nothing to do with the medical alert. And, you know, there it's pretty obvious that you want one of the two products based on the Apple Watch, right? Why would you buy something else when you've already got the Apple Watch? Right. And then at the opposite extreme is actually people that couldn't care less what they wear. They don't worry at all about appearance. They care deeply about safety. You know, they really, really are worried about things like, so, you know, sort of a heart attack or some other cardiac event. Uh, and really, they want to be safe, as safe as possible. They don't mind wearing something. And they have no interest in things like counting their steps or looking at the weather on their watch or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And at that extreme, they don't really want any of these products that, you know, they'd be better off with a more conventional type of thing. Mm -hmm. So those are the two extremes. And then then there's a couple in between that I thought were particularly relevant where, you know, there's some blend of of different characteristics that make the other two products relevant. Right. Well, I'll ask you about a few other uh, use cases. I don't know that whether these count as personas or not, but, you know, these are situations that I get asked about quite a lot. So, you know, one would be for people someone who is having memory problems. Right. And some of these people are are living alone, you know, which is generating a lot of concern for their family. Would you say that any of these might be suitable for someone like that? You know, I've just been helping someone with this exact problem. And um, I think it depends on the details a lot. I'll tell you some of the details I think matter. Yeah. The first detail has to do with, you know, how severe the memory problems are because, the most important question with all these is whether they're going to actually wear the device. Mm-hmm. So 
the more advanced the memory issues are, you know, the, the less likely they are to remember to put it on in the morning. Or they'd wear it all the time. And then there's a question of how often does it need to be charged or... Well, that's right. All of these need to be charged, um, at, you know, roughly once a day or once every two days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the battery life is important. Mm-hmm. And there are some products that exist for people with more significant cognitive impairment that have things like locks on them to prevent them being accidentally taken off and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so for some people in the category you're talking about, those extra features might be quite important. And these products do not have those sort of extra features. Mm -hmm. Um, So the two questions that really loomed large when I was helping someone with this exact problem the other day were whether the person would in fact wear these mm-hmm. and how the charging would take get taken care of. Mm-hmm. Because also when people have memory problems, there's sometimes quite a lot of interest in them having a GPS device. That's right. Which, which these presumably have. They do. So then there is still the question of, of uh, will they wear it, especially since it may not look quite like what they're used to for a watch. You know, I find that when people are older and developing memory problems, the whole familiarity of it, you know, becomes more relevant. And this may not be an issue in 10 years when we have just a generation of people who've been wearing a smartwatch. Well, that's right. um, For for years, but right now it's, I do see it coming up. And then, um, and then the other thing people ask a lot about is, you know, something that helps where there's a, an option for family or, or a caregiver. Sometimes it's a professional caregiving service, right? You know, a, a care management service. For them to be able to, you know, sort of monitor what's been yes. going on with the person. And so do any of these smartwatches you tested, what's, what are the options for family being, you know, kind of involved, involved slash supervising, depending on the situation? You know, they all have that option to a greater or lesser extent, which is probably, a, you know, a, an important detail. I didn't spend a lot of time trying to think through how perfect each of them were. They were all implemented a little bit differently, but they all have some way that you can log into an app of some sort and discover where the um, watch is. So, so long as the watch is actually attached to somebody, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's partly what you want there. There are some products designed just for that purpose, which have things like geofencing, where they'll send you an alert if the person walks outside a certain boundary and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain. I don't recall if these most of these products don't have that very thoroughly implemented, that type of extra layer of complexity. Um, it's possible one or two of them do. I forget offhand. There's also the uh, sort of related, the, the product that sends an alert when there hasn't been motion at the yes. expected time, right? You know, the idea being that people usually right. have a certain activity pattern. Mm. And if they and their device haven't moved for, you know, it's now midday and they haven't moved and usually they're up early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Could something have happened? Did any of these smartwatches and services that you tested offer anything similar to that? I didn't spend a lot of time trying to think about that part. I don't believe the two traditional ones have that built in. They both have kind of apps designed for caregivers, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm not certain they, they had that exact feature. I think what's interesting about the Apple Watch is, you know, you can get all sorts of apps for the Apple Watch, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd be shocked if you couldn't find something that more or less did that somewhere in the universe. But it's, uh, I I don't think these products are really designed for that exact use case you're talking about. Right, right. But, you know, that's interesting in terms of the future, right? This idea of, you know, that you'll have this base device or technology and then different people can develop apps or add-ons, for different purposes. And that could end up being uh, quite helpful. I think so. You know, I I was at a meeting the other day 
down at Stanford actually with a group of people who were all in their sort of sixties, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, they were retired high powered uh, Silicon Valley types, not normally what you'd think of as older adults, but yes, but they want a better device. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't really want a medical alert, but what I noticed is everyone in the room was wearing an Apple watch, men, women, the whole room. Mm. Um, so if you kind of extrapolate beyond what you might buy tomorrow, this whole idea that um, all these features just come in something that you have anyway, that isn't really a medical thing. It's a um, piece of consumer electronics. I think that's a powerful thought. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's true. So down there in Silicon Valley, you had a group of uh, people in their 60s. They all had a smartwatch. Do you have a sense of what proportion of older adults more broadly are using smartwatches or, or interested in them? and I have a sort of anecdotal um, answer to that. I, I haven't done a formal survey, but in our explorer groups, which kind of self-select for intellectual curiosity, so they're not maybe your average person, mm-hmm. uh, in them, it's a fairly small fraction that actually have something like an Apple Watch, but some of them do. And But then if you kind of move back from that and look at the people who are walking around with both a watch and a Fitbit on their arm, mm-hmm. uh, that's actually quite a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a majority, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a significant minority. And then when we have conversations about things like fitness tracking, there's general, you know, there's broad interest. I think um, the idea that you could have tools to help you do more exercise or behavior change, all those kind of things that fitness trackers potentially can do. There's a lot of interest in that. Yeah. Well, I think certainly a step counter is very is very useful, you know, and it's a sort of easy thing for for a person to look at and decide to just, you know, increase the steps at least somewhat. Um, right. So, so I, I think they have a, a lot of promise, and they can be helpful to me as the clinician when you ask people how much do you walk, right. how much activity exactly. do you get, because trying to dig the information you need out of people's memories right. is not a very effective way to go about it. Now, the heart rate tracker, I think, is. Not very useful, <laughs> despite its enduring popularity. So uh, that's useful for a certain type of intensity fitness training mm-hmm. or for a very small number of people who have you know, special heart conditions and they're really a minority. So I, I think that's just a marketing gimmick myself. But I like, you know, I like steps and other ways to you know, either track activity or help nudge people. Well, let me just build on that goal. a little bit if mm-hmm. I could. Yeah. Because I'm um, actually a little interesting anecdote about the heart rate. I mean, um, as I'm sure you know, some of the newer versions of the Apple Watch can go beyond heart rate, and there's some add-ons that can measure yes, your atrial rhythm. fibrillation, your heart mm-hmm. rhythm, right? And um, one of our explorers in our exploration club meetings, um, the beginning bit of it is always the explorers bring along topics they want to talk about. And one of our explorers came and told everybody about that because she has atrial fibrillation and she thought this would be very useful for her, whether that's useful clinically or useful to the her clinician is maybe a different point. But I think it's useful in selling it. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is she mm-hmm. thought it would be useful to her, yes. which is kind of relevant, even if yes isn't correct anyway so that was one point i was going to make but the other thing that i th- i wanted to just pick up on that you said about the fitness and the steps these products actually had quite a variation in how many different smart watch features they included mm-hmm. from one extreme where the apple watch can do anything you can imagine but it's a bit complicated actually it's very complicated to one of the products um has almost no smart watch features uh, uh, you know it, it um 
I'm forgetting right this second what it had, but I think the weather was it pretty much and the time. And then in the middle, there was one that I thought did a pretty good job of picking the most interesting ones, but not making it overcomplicated. And the features that I decided were perhaps most relevant were step counting and the weather, because people seem to be pretty keen on knowing the weather and telling mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are like the point of first adoption, perhaps. Right, right. Uh, well, I just thought of another one, which you'll have to tell me if people, you know, if that ends up being a feature of interest, but um, the ability to summon a ride. <laughs> Well, yes. You know, uh, because I mean, there are lots of apps you can put on your thing. But when I think about what is likely to be, you know, the most useful, I would think, you know, summoning help and summoning a ride. I think that's really important. There's no question people love the ability to summon a ride. The only thing I'd wonder, though, is um, whether you might not be just as good being able to do that on your smartphone. I'm not 100% sure you need that on your um, all-purpose device on your wrist. Right, right, yeah. And it's true, many of these, you know, maybe one doesn't have one's phone with one all the time in the house, but maybe when you're out, you do. Well, Richard, this has been so interesting and really helpful. I guess in closing, you mentioned that you went to the Aging 2.0 conference recently. I think it was just in November. I didn't get a chance to go this past year. I'd gone the year before. Anything else interesting that you heard about in this realm of mobile alert devices or wearable devices for older adults? Only in a very limited way. I had a good conversation with the founder of the Fall Call Light app, who's a MD. And uh, he was telling me that they hope to bring automatic fall detection to their app. Oh, okay. So, uh, mind you, They've been working on that for quite some time, so I'm not quite sure what the timeline is, but I would think that would be very uh, good because then you would have both the automatic fall detection and the ability to have a professional responder, which in my opinion are the two, you know, must have the two ideal features I'd like to see in one of these products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Other than that, I didn't get any exciting new insights at that conference. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's finally some headway because I feel like they've been talking about this better, more attractive mobile alert device for quite a while. I mean, everyone was saying it was going to be coming soon when I first started following aging technology um, yep. you know, six years ago. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they found it's maybe a little harder than they thought, but we're finally seeing some, some progress. So any last tips for audience members who want to learn more about technology, innovation, and aging? Now, of course... You know, we're going to post a link to your report in the show notes. And then also you have your longevity explorer groups, which could be a nice option for people who, well, who would it be a nice option for actually? You tell me or you tell us. Okay. Actually, just before I do that, I just wanted to make one comment about the more attractive medical alerts. Uh-huh. Because I think this smartwatch category is pretty interesting. And I'll tell you why. There's a whole parallel and different approach, which is to take a conventional medical alert and paint it pink or add diamonds to it, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of idea, uh, or to hang it on a nice chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there are lots of initiatives like that. But at the end of the day, they still look like a big, ugly button, you know, that's now pink or blue or something. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so the difference with this smartwatch concept is it's not just trying to make it more pretty. It's actually merging it with a other type of product that perhaps you might want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so to your question about Longevity Explorers, you know, there's two things I'd like to say. One is that the Longevity Explorer community mostly attracts people who think that the idea of learning new stuff and finding out about new products and helping shape them as they get developed 
is intellectually stimulating and fun. So those would be the people that might enjoy it. And up until about now, we've always had a somewhat limited ability to start new longevity explorer circles. But during 2018, we pioneered a new approach where we um, would not necessarily have me running them all, but be able to train people to lead new explorer circles. And we think we've learned how to do that. And so we've just started a new initiative to encourage new circles to start around the country, ideally around the world. And so if anyone's listening and wishing they could have a longevity explorer in their community, we know how to help you do that now. And if you'd like to reach out to us, that would be fun. Wonderful. Well, that is fantastic news. I'm so glad to hear that. Okay. Well, Richard, as always, a huge pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so very much. My pleasure, Leslie. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.